0: Hi everyone, my name is Vanessa Valliukol and this is Personal Pans. Conversations about belief, transformation, and all the weird and wonderful things that we experience. Today's episode is with Enfis J. Book who also wrote a book called Queer Kabbalah. This was a wonderful conversation to revisit, not only because we talked about the um, the hermetic tradition of the Kabbalah and how it um, it undergirds a lot of Uh, their personal beliefs, how they started engaging with the Kabbalah, and also the radically transformative power of queering things. But because this was an incredibly hopeful conversation, um, we initially recorded this right after the Buffalo shooting and um, it, it, I mean, it's been a, a, a really rough few weeks for a whole bunch of us and It it was wonderful to talk about the ways in which we can transform our world uh, through the Kabbalah perspective. Um, But also just talking about what it's like to be a human and occasionally need some treats because the news can be really bleak. Um, so, So yes, I hope that you enjoy this conversation as well. Okay, so again, food is life. I, I'm Polish, and my grandparents are immigrants. The idea of food is love, which can get problematic, but man, there's nothing like you know a good a good treat on a difficult day that is, just makes everything better.
1: <laughs> I just was watching a TikTok this morning that was like, I am. You know, the shape I am because my whole personal philosophy is about little treats. Like if I have a great day, I've earned a little treat. If I have a terrible day. Boy, a little treat would help turn that around. If I have kind of an okay day, little treats going to make it a good day. And I'm like, I feel extremely seen, exactly. <laughs> I'm seen by this.
0: exactly it was so funny for work um we had brunch just recently we did this little brunch workshop and uh everybody's showing off what they got for breakfast and I just lift up a piece of chocolate pie with the sprinkling of raspberries sounds (laughs) so good choose decadence right that's kind of my philosophy (laughs) exactly I, I don't think I will be
1: on my deathbed wishing I had eaten fewer donuts but maybe I don't know depending (laughs)
0: it's <laughs> just a matter of like a little bits of joy you can find in the world you know exactly well and especially too like I I, I often talk about you know uh, capitalism and and how it, it, it exists to extract joy from all of us mm-hmm. and so if we can find these little moments of happiness even if it so okay so we buy a donut or we make a donut like there's something Wonderful about that. Any kind of treats. I'm just like, oh, I'm in my body. I'm choosing myself right now. I'm I'm very excited. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm glad you're also of that <laughs> variety. <laughs> I was raised in Minnesota, so very much
1: the food is love culture as well, gotcha. and yes. learned how to cook pretty young. And yeah, I I definitely love uh, I love baking. I like sharing my love for people with, by sharing food with them and homemade food. It's very much a part of who I am. And I think there's a lot of good, a lot of ways to be good to your physical form that are not limited to all the things that keep your physical form performing optimally. I think it also includes doing things that feel good sometimes, you know,
0: not over, overdoing it, but like, it's okay to have a little treat, you know? Exactly. It's, It's again, you know, if you, if you are able to have some flexibility, do that, right? Mm -hmm. Because it can be so exhausting, especially if you have any kind of food allergies or anything like that. But if you have a little bit of wiggle room and you're like, you know what, I'm going to have this donut. I'm going to have this muffin, whatever it is that you can tolerate, because sometimes you need those little joys to remind you like, oh yeah, not everything is terrible, um, uh, The body is not uh, 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 an enemy, right? Like right. this is, I can enjoy myself in this moment. Have this mm-hmm. little bit of excitement. Exactly. So it's good to talk.
1: It's to all someone. about balance, balance, balance. moderate, yeah, moderation in all things, including moderation.
0: Uh, <laughs> I, <think laughs> I, I that love that. Yeah. <laughs> well, especially too, because my like, I you know, I name my business after Kali. Like, I'm I'm very much in love with with the goddess Kali. And that idea of, you know, everything exists in her, right? Our mm. our idea of sacred and profane, these are all human um, distinctions typically. Mm-hmm. And you can find you can find the divine in anything. And and the there's power in that and, and not mm-hmm. being wrapped up in illusions that society has has fed us our entire exactly. life. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool.
1: Well, that's an easy way to ease into the interview. I am so happy to talk about food pretty much any time. amazing. Um, like <laughs> Same. For, for my for my day job, I had to record a video introducing myself a few years ago. and there's a whole section on like, how much I love food and how one of the best things about working from home is that I can have a grilled cheese sandwich for lunch. uh, And, you know, I'm pretty much always willing to talk about food.
0: I love it. I'm so excited about that. Especially because like I did not grow up, my grandmother cooked all the time, right? Like immigrant culture, like had Mm -hmm. all these um, traditional foods and basically wanted to keep that to herself. So I did not grow up cooking or doing Mm. anything but I started getting into it during the pandemic started kind of really after college, but then pandemic things ramped up and I started baking and trying all these other things, all these things that felt alien from me. And then Mm -hmm. suddenly it's like, Oh, I can pick up this new skill. Oh, I can bake a cake now like that, that empowerment. Like, yes, I can make my own food. I can survive on my own.
1: (laughs) It's a good thing. Yeah, that's a exactly. good thing when you're like, oh, yeah, I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like any I think I also appreciate the short attention span skill set of like baking a thing. And within like an hour or two, you get to consume the thing. So you reap the rewards of that craft very quickly yes. um, unless you are on Great British Bake Off and making like wedding cakes and, and stuff that takes days. But like I can make a pan of cookies in like under two hours. And then it's like, cool, it's done. I don't have to do anything else except the dishes. Like, that's done. And <laughs> exactly. so having something that is barely um, quick rewarding is, is kind of nice. It's like, I made a thing. And now I know that it turned out well. And I get to enjoy it exactly. within, like, an afternoon as opposed to, I wrote a book. And, like, now I have to wait two years for anyone else to read it. <laughs> so. There's
0: long-term gratification and short-term gratification. It's good to have both. I, okay, so this brings up such a good point because I think if people haven't gone through the process of, of writing a book and, and having it distributed through a publisher, have no idea how long it takes from conception to um, proposal to contract to delivering the manuscripts to it finally being in stores. That is long, a long, long arc. Oh, yeah. and, it,
1: and it's not an arc where you're busy doing stuff the whole time either. Like there are yeah. months long gaps where you're just like, what should I be doing? <laughs> like, I know stuff is happening. I know I'm not supposed to write because it's with them and they don't want me to have additional changes to get into version control issues. Yeah. But you're just like, what, what should I be doing? It's, it's very unnerving. I'm used to like work super hard on a project constantly until it's done. And this is not that.
0: It was a very interesting learning experience to write. Of course, of course. And of course, for everyone, at least the people who have, we're talking about Queer koala. I
1: actually have the finished shelf copy arrived just yesterday. I didn't get the big box of them yet, but I got a couple of them and I'm just like super excited to see the back cover and everything. It's so shiny. It is. I I love that gloss. (laughs) Yeah, I love the colors. It's just like, oh, this is exactly my rainbow
0: aesthetic. I love it so much. Exactly. (laughs) I love that. We'll also, your glasses too i'm very excited about yep. all of these colors happening definitely have a theme
1: yep <laughs> and like big shout outs for the cover because um the cover was designed by shira Atak- Atakpu um from Llewellyn and is just amazing i was like this is the prettiest book cover i think i've ever seen it's and an, it's Shira so did an amazing
0: job with it yeah it's beautiful yeah and that and again again that rainbow that aesthetic if, uh, that's something that um I appreciate about this. I talked to uh, Cassandra Snow uh, last mm-hmm. year for Panparacon, and we were also talking about the the like liberation, the liberatory power, right, of of queering things, and mm-hmm. um, and so reading this was exciting because it, it's it's not like you're rewriting a system; you're just pointing out what is already there. Because um, the, you mentioned early on like my attempt to to get into kabbalah was reading dion fortune's mystical kabbalah and that was a big mistake for many reasons it's not a good starting point no
1: <laughs> no it's a hard one like it's it's got a lot of good stuff in it but ooh, is it problematic
0: <laughs> oh goodness yes um yeah and it's. I think it can be really hard to. Uh, well, uh, again, I'm a chaos magician, so I, I like things a little more fast than this Anyway, I mm-hmm. t- my eyes tend to cross when things get a little too systematized. But then you top mm-hmm. the racism onto that, and, uh, and ableism, really, and, and ableism,
1: and xenophobia, and sexism, and 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 yeah, there's and a lot.
0: I, oof, yeah, and so it, that is an introduction. It's going to be hard for me to pull out. The necessary information when I don't even know what I'm reading. Ultimately, <laughs> well, and, and the tricky all I can see is the bad stuff. Yeah, a lot of those
1: things from kind of the early 20th century. I think some of them were just transcribed talks. Like this did not go through an edit- editorial process. This is a little bit stream of consciousness, which is why I struggle with some of those early books and a lot of the stuff that's been preserved from the golden dawn. A lot of it is just transcribed lectures, and I'm like that makes so much sense why this just kind of rambles on it needed a good editor and it never had one. And uh, that gives me a little more sympathy for why it is the way it is, but also acknowledging it makes it hard to read. It's a little bit like I majored in English with a writing emphasis, and it was such a light bulb moment when they said, a lot of these books from the Victorian era were published as serials and magazines and they were paid by the word. And I'm like, that makes so much sense now. Why there's this entire chapter describing a carriage, you know, like I'm like, why can't they just move the plot? And it's like, Oh, because that was how they
0: had to make money.
1: Okay. That makes sense now. So yeah. again, capitalism ruins everything.
0: Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that again, again, aside from the queer lens, they appreciated that this is accessible. It is written in English. It's, it's easy to draw. Um, to draw things uh, to contemporary ideas. I mean, even just the idea of like writing your own script. I have a friend who is, um, she, she's a therapist, but she's also a narrative therapist and talks a lot about the importance of developing your own story and, mm-hmm. and writing your own story and, de- and deciding, okay, what happened to you, right? And all the things that have happened to you, you get to determine how those impact your life going forward. Mm-hmm. They don't have to define your story. Um, yeah. Which again, I think is the power of queerness in general. It's like, okay, we've been given these narratives. Do these actually work for us? Mm-hmm. Are these actually useful? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, one of the other books I really love is Tara Brock's Radical Acceptance, where, kind of along that story line, she talks about what are the stories we tell ourselves and can we interrogate those and decide if those are true. And I that was such a powerful thing for me to read because I do that like I, we we tend to tell the same stories over like when we're meeting someone, and it's like I keep saying this thing is this actually true is this am I harming myself by continuing to repeat this story as the reason I X Y Z am I making that true in the moment oh. yeah there's some really interesting uh, threads to pull out there
0: yeah absolutely absolutely yeah it's and it, it's again I I'm always interested in liberation. Um, acceptance. When I talked to Iris Moon and, and she was telling me about the reclaiming tradition, witchcraft, like that, again, that idea of, okay, we're building on old things and we're creating new knowledge, new awareness. It's, it's uh, interrogating the process as opposed to just deciding, okay, here's a book or a series of books, and this is the interpretation. You got to deal with It doesn't yes. matter what time, what space, what your identity is what your relationship is to everything in the world nope here's one book this is it uh one interpretation deal with it <laughs> yep yeah um so if, if for on that topic because I, like i said my knowledge of kabbalah is pretty much zero because i do not remember a single thing i read out of uh, mystical kabbalah so if you for for people who maybe are in the same position i'm in uh would you mind just giving a little overview of the Kabbalah and its origins.
1: So one of my favorite descriptors to explain what is Kabbalah comes from the author, uh, Daniel Moeller, who wrote Shamanic Kabbalah, and he called it spiritual architecture. Mm. I just really love that idea like that. And then Israel Regardi, sort of vaguely paraphrasing by way of Ellen Cannon Reed talked about the Kabbalah as a filing cabinet for the universe. So there's this idea of Kabbalah as both a framework with which to understand life, the universe and everything to take Douglas Adams way out of context. um, But also the fact that it is an interpretive lens. It is a way where you can uh, find better understanding of yourself, your relationship to the world, your relationship to the universe, your relationship to the concept of divinity. So it is all those things and more, it's a little bit like the more you try to define it, the more diffuse the definition gets, because it is so much kind of like um, the quote from Doctor Who, it's, time is not a line, it's a big ball of wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff, it's kind of like, it's a big ball of university, wooniversity stuff, you know, like, it, there's a lot going on here, and um, trying to at least throw some signposts up for people to get a general sense of it is, is a challenge, but I Think I was able to make it a little more understandable in the book than I am right now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I can yeah. attest to that. Yes. <laughs> the, yeah. The short version is uh it's a framework with which to understand life, the universe, and everything is the short version that I like to tell people.
0: Yeah. Okay. And and you're coming at it from the because I I want to say I read like the Hebrew Goddess. I feel like it's still on my shelves mm. like 15 years ago. And it was kind of talking about, you know, uh, emanations of the divine, but that's more, uh, you know, Jewish mysticism tradition. We're talking right. specifically about Hermetic traditions, right?
1: Co- correct. Yeah. And there's these, there are a few different distinct threads of study of Kabbalah. And also there are nuances with like the spelling and the pronunciation that tend to indicate, you know, are you talking about the Jewish devotional practice? Are you talking about Hermetic or, you know, different streams of uh, information on that? So yeah, my, my, the, the place I can speak with authority is on the Hermetic side. Uh, I'm pretty upfront with I was not raised Jewish. I have nothing but respect for, you know, the Jewish tradition. That is not an area I'm qualified to speak on. However, there are some overlap between the Jewish tradition and the Hermetic Kabbalah, um, where there are a few things in common, in particular, the glyph that you see, the tree of life glyph, and also, you know, Hebrew names for the spheres, Hebrew letters for the paths, and so having some understanding of those things is helpful um, to understanding either version. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, amazing. Um, yeah, because like I said, uh, Missa Kokabala, No, <laughs> that was that was so it was impenetrable, and um, and and this was again, I you know, as you're starting to talk about the. Uh, the spheres, and just um, Malkuth, uh, super queer, queen of everything, like that immediately gives, I think, a really good um, image of what, what we're really talking about. Um, and if you could also speak to, so again, one of the things that I love is that you're, you're talking about how it, a lot of these hermetic kind of traditions of, of binary and, and patriarchy don't really fit with the actual tree and the actual what what these these things actually are Um, if you if you wouldn't mind just talking a little more about that because you're gonna say I'm I'm kind of stammering over my words (laughs) right now (laughs) but I um I I love how you illuminate that that this it, it isn't just uh you know masculine feminine and that's it and you have to fit into one of those binaries
1: yeah, that is a, a binary you come across a lot in a cult study is this idea of masculine energy and feminine energy and, you know, insert tab A into slot B, you get magic, you know, that's, that's a very common sort of trope. And it's one that I bought into hook, line and sinker at first, because I was like, yes, okay, that makes sense. Because that kind of interaction in the way they define masculine and feminine energy resonates with how patriarchy defines men and women. So it's not hard to grasp onto that concept because we see it around us every day. But the more I kind of interrogated that, especially in the context of Kabbalah, I'm like, you're really putting a round peg in a square hole here because Kabbalah by its very nature is not binary. Like it's a very classic use of multifold energetic pathways, you know, going three directions at once, four directions at once, or in all directions simultaneously. There is, um, I mean, it's obvious from the start where you have three vertical lines, not two, you have something that some people call the masculine pillar, and another one people call the feminine pillar, but in the middle, there's the pillar of balance, and it's its own type of energy. So as a non-binary person, when I sort of was like, wait a minute, Yeah, hey, (laughs) it's right there. And that's one of the initial thoughts that spooled me into this whole book is like, the more I dug around, the more I'm like, Kabbalah is super queer, and nobody's talking about it. Or they're trying to paint like whitewash over that to get it to fit a more rigid binary system, and it doesn't work.
0: Right. Right, and 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 again, I love that again. The, the, even from from food to Kabbalah, like whatever is more affirming of life and the fluidity of life. Again, I, I appreciated you talking about um, the tarot. I've got what like four decks uh, on my desk right now. Um, just that it's the the paths as being represented with. Um, with tarot cards, because I, again, the, the conception of these energies as fluid as opposed to static, right? And so again, moving away from this binary way of thinking and, and thinking it in, in more of a fluid sense, even, even things that are considered masculine, are they always, are they receptive, are they also active, um, challenging all of those and challenging a lot of the assumptions that we are forced into being in a patriarchal, um, hierarchical capitalist society.
1: Yep, exactly. Uh, so it's easy to try and put Kabbalah in that box, but Kabbalah really is so much more and much more aligned to, uh, you know, an academic queer theory sort of interpretation and it's not really even an interpretation it's stuff that was already there uh, the first part of the book I'm not making any of that up these are just things that are right there on the tree and I say um that's pretty gay and like it doesn't get pointed out very often so I think it's important for me to say like hey look um that's pretty gay right there (laughs) and that's really affirming for me from a spiritual perspective as a non-binary queer person i'm like hey i see myself represented in a thing that is a tool of my magic and that's really important because especially if you are non-binary and you're seeing all of these well the masculine does this the feminine does this you know over and over it can be kind of alienating because you're like you're trying to put you know i am a colorful queer person and you are trying to put me into this very narrow box of the society that I don't fit in with anyway and I thought I was coming to where all the weirdos are here in the occult territory but you're doing the same thing that they were out there and that's really unfortunate when that happens you want to affirm people from the fringes of society you don't want to be like well you know just try and fit in this same box and everything's good.
0: I, I find that terrifying I find that terrifying. Um, we talked a little bit about this before I hit the record button, that idea of, you know, again, we're living in these, these space. We're talking about magic. We're talking about fairies. We're talking about energy. We're, we're talking about all of these things that normal, normal society has decided it's fringe that isn't real uh, it, that it's dismissed in some way. And, and, and it, it should be a place of magic and exploration and then you just have people reinforcing gender binaries, racist thought, ableism, um, all of these horrible, terrible systems that exist in our society. And it just gets reproduced on a smaller scale in magic circles, in paranormal circles. Again, if you, if you are devoted to learning and educating yourself and exploring, but you're just, it's just the same old hegemony over and over again, what are, what are you really doing? I think you just want to find a group of people that you can be racist with, but also perform magic or, you know, and again, fill in racism with any other mm-hmm. ism. And, and what's the point of that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, especially too, when again, that alienation, how, how hard that is, everything is alienating people who do not fit a certain cookie cutter identity, yeah. be more inclusive, embrace, explore. <laughs> A little bit
1: like uh, there's a meme that goes around that's saying get your non-binary pride shirt. It comes in. Do you want it in masculine or feminine fit? And it's like, well, that sort of is (laughs) just showing the problem right there. Like women's fit or men's fit. And it's like, well,
0: okay, (laughs) but it's non-binary pride. (laughs) I I I did see that going around, and it was um, a little chilling for me, because I I think again I think people don't interrogate why they think what they believe, um, where they are in society. Right. And, and so, yes, non-binary pride, but okay, but there are also only these two distinct set of people and we have to make sure we have fits for either of them. That doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. Like, and, and it's, it's one of those things of constantly questioning your assumptions I, I don't think enough people are doing that about enough things. And I know everything in our society is built around making us not question things, but any moments of reflection that you have, take that time to reflect and think about it because then you end up with shirts like that and other things that end up just alienating people and missing the whole point, the whole point anyway. Exactly.
1: Yeah, exactly. So yeah, when I started sort of, pulling the threads of the tree of life. Uh, some other things sort of came to the surface where I'm like, okay, sure, we have a masculine pillar and a feminine pillar. Okay, and then the imagery associated with each of those spheres doesn't actually always line up with like feminine ind- images on the feminine pillar, masculine images on the masculine pillar, um, it's actually kind of a mix. And there's also a mix of the gender of the Hebrew name of the sphere doesn't always match with which pillar it is on. And of course there's the non-binary pillars, I like to call it in the middle. Um, and those things are gendered, uh, But it was just interesting to see how fascinatingly inconsistent it is just with the things that have been layered on it over a hundred years ago. And I like to say the first part of this book, I'm not putting any rainbow glitter on it. I'm just pointing out the stuff that's already there. And then in part two, I get out the rainbow glitter and say, okay, let's look at this and how we might be able to claim this, uh, (laughs) you know, as queer people digging a little deeper. I love
0: that. Yeah. Well, and again, too, it, you, you can get into subtext, but I like that you start with text. This is here. Yep. they how things are formed. This, this is the act. This is the text. Then what can we do with it? How can we explore it? How can we investigate, interrogate? Again, that's one of the things that I love about Cassandra's work about querying the tarot that, um, okay, we think this means this. Does it? Does this reflect our experience walking through life? in any capacity yes no all right let's figure that out what how can exactly. these images be used in ways of of affirmation and liberation for people as opposed to um shutting people out
1: yeah and i love cassandra's work especially uh their book on queering your craft where it makes a really solid point that magic and witchcraft are the tool of the marginalized like this is how you get power when you are not gifted power by society and this is your opportunity to take power in a way that is not capitalistic that is not um, you know fitting a certain hierarchical power structure it's kind of like going from a thing where there's many layers between you and the top to be like i don't have to have an intermediary between me and the gods like i can just talk to them (laughs) and and how awesome that is
0: Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. That that and and again, anything that challenges hierarchical structure, I'm a huge fan of. That's why I'm interested in 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 Gnosticism. Okay, uh, there's only one. Again, this idea that there's only one way, or a handful of ways, or that these ways have to be, um, you know, monitored and maintained, and only a certain number of people can tell us the way of achieving these things, and instead, learning like uh, engaging. Um, with these different aspects and, and, and playing around with it. And, and again, claiming, reclaiming things that to me, that's the beauty of chaos magic that I can pick up and put down anything that works for me in the moment, in order to get me to tap into some higher awareness, the higher feeling, a, 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 a greater power, and then, oh, this doesn't work anymore. All right, that's fine. Thank you. You served me. But there's some other stuff that I need now in order to, to do my work. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. And one of the great things that I take from Kabbalah, and maybe not everyone has this interpretation, but I feel like Kabbalah is a great demonstration that there is no hierarchy, Um, even though it's a vertical, you know, glyph with, you know, there's a circle at the top and the circle at the bottom is our, you know, day to day existence. And the top is basically the opposite of that. But there is nothing that says that any one of these spheres is any better or more divine than any of the others, because the energy all comes from the same place. Uh, You know, you have the spirit of the entire tree within every smaller bit of the tree. It's basically like a big fractal. So the closer you zoom in, the more you see the same pattern over and over. And that's also very comforting to me, that idea that like, yes, divinity is there. It's not necessarily perfect. It's, you know, it's a pattern that we can tap into, but there's not, you know, it's not necessarily like, well, it came from there. It's better. No, it's like energy has to go through sort of a process to get made. And in a lot of ways, you know, here and now is great because we've got all this tangible stuff we can move and physically influence and interact with. And they don't have that on the other end of the tree. So it's like, which is better? They're just different. And I
0: really appreciate that about Kabbalah. Yes. That, again, the, the beginning, this idea that we're working with form, right? And I feel like this has come up also in multiple other episodes. Um, so much of, of spiritual traditions in general, it just it, like either ignore the body, curse the body, that, that idea of bodiedness somehow equals sin or evil or whatever, and this idea, I again, reclaiming the body, I think, is incredibly important. And reclaiming physical form, also very important, right? We get to have these beautiful feelings. We get to have these ideas. Then we get to act on these ideas in the material world and bring things into being. That's incredibly powerful. That exists specifically as much as I curse the three dimensions and the linear time dimension. Like, that is <laughs> the power of that, right? That we are here. We can do things. We can pick things up. I can, you know, do, read, do a tarot reading for somebody and, and uh, see these images that someone else has created in order to communicate information. That, that is very specifically our power here. And, exactly. and, to, and to act like it's not as good as, right? Just the purely mm-hmm. spiritual, like you said, kind of miss the point, right? That there are different strengths of different spheres of existence.
1: Exactly. And that's one of the takeaways I have in my chapter about Malkuth is like, if there's one lesson to take from this sphere, the one at the bottom of the tree that represents our manifest reality, the lesson is, you live here. So live here. Like, enjoy having a body. Uh, Do what you can to make our wacky trip through the cosmos as pleasant for you and the people around you and other people you've never met as possible. You know, just... There's a lot of good we can do here that we can't do if we lack corporeal form. So take advantage of that, you know? Yes, exactly. Yes. Again, Eat the, that donut. It all comes back
0: to donuts. It Eat doesn't that come donut. Back. <laughs> it, does. it doesn't come back from donuts. <laughs> I'm going to get a donut after this talk. I've already decided. Um, nice. But yeah, I, I, again, I love that. We, we're here now, and especially like in, in thinking in terms of okay, where society is at and that fear that a lot of us have right now for many reasons and understanding that we do have power here, especially if we work together. There is is power in all of that intention, directing collective action and moving forward and and making changes and making changes in the world that we want to see. We can do that. Mm -hmm. like part of the reason why certain uh, people are trying to take away all of our rights is because they know we can make changes to make things better and different Mm -hmm. and more inclusive and open. And they're busy holding on to their little scraps of power. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. If, if there were no power in the body, they wouldn't be trying to take away our, well, our bodies in some cases. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Our power. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, how did you? I mean, I read the book, so I know this. But how did you get interested in the Kabbalah? So,
1: I read my first book on Kabbalah about 2012, hmm. and it wasn't Dion Fortune. Fortunately, <laughs> I don't know if I would have continued my interest either if that had been my first book. <laughs> uh, no, I read Ellen Ellen Cannon Reads, which is Kabbalah, and it was part of my initial studies in. We'll just call it the esoteric i was i have long felt sort of nudges about like you know maybe your spiritual path is not something super mainstream uh you know psychic visions things like that and trying to find a framework to fit all of that in to understand it better as opposed to just shoving it into the that's the devil and walking away from it uh you know that box uh, was all that box was all I was offered growing up It's like, that's the devil. Um, So I wanted a a more nuanced approach to that. And in my early explorations in the esoteric in my early thirties, one of those first books I read was Ellen Cannon reads, which is Kabbalah. And it was simultaneously really frustrating because one of the problems with that book is it gets super bogged down in all the correspondences like right out of the gate you have many many different diagrams of the tree of life with all these different correspondences like choirs of angels and archangels and you've got the uh you know here are the scents and perfumes and here are the like there's all these things that line up and it's the first thing you learn (laughs) and that was really overwhelming i'm just like I can't understand this as a whole. If you're trying to show me all the parts first, I need a more basic (laughs) overview of this than a a bunch of charts to memorize. And, but I still was sort of into it because I've always been uh, a fan of learning. I, I would, if I had a bajillion dollars, I'd probably just take classes for the rest of my life. That would be great. But yeah, I just, I was like, here's something complicated that is incredibly compelling in its complicated nature. And partly because it's complicated, it's compelling. I wanted to understand it more, and especially within the tradition I'm part of, the assembly of the sacred wheel, Kabbalah undergirds a lot of our ritual structure. It undergirds a lot of our um, understanding and how, how we're even set up as a tradition. And so I got this idea, or I was told, that Kabbalah is kind of the, um, the operating system for most modern magic. It's like it builds on this concept to make magic work. And I'm like, well, okay, I'm a big geek. I would like to learn that operating system, please, because that sounds like a really important thing to know. So uh, I started digging in and then I just kind of never stopped. I was just let's try another book. Let's do another one. Let's see what this person has to say about it. And despite the fact that I found a lot of stuff in those early books enraging, uh, it's not just Dion. There's a lot of other people who said a lot of other terrible things, along with some very good stuff. And, you know, reading through, I think I'm looking over at my bookshelf Gareth Knight's Practical Guide to Kabbalistic Symbolism, which is a hefty, elk stunning tome. <laughs> It's a a old book with a lot of very tiny print and there are moments that i just wrote a lot of curse words in the margins because i'm like no this is this is racist this is bullshit please don't okay i know this was written many years ago it doesn't excuse it and we're just gonna write curse words and move
0: on and try to get something good out of it well, listen what are the margins for if never annotating books honestly exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> number of exclamation points and what the fuck is this that i've written in certain books i totally understand yeah that. i think my my favorite one though
1: i'm trying to remember if this was the zohar or if this was israel regardy because i read both about the same time and i can't remember like okay. which book it's from but there's a moment when they talk about um there's some comment somewhere in i think it's in the zohar saying that um no human can be fully divine unless they have both masculine and feminine within them, or something to that effect, which I was very intrigued by. And then the interpretation was, and that's why it's important to get married. And I just wrote L-O-L. <laughs> like they work so hard to be like, you know, this this isn't queer, really, really, like the effort that has been expended by Kabbalistic scholars to be like, no homo. Um, is really quite hilarious
0: at times it's 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 oh boy it's like it's like when um there are uh either celebrities from the 1940s or or even famous literary figures who had very close male friends yes like okay that's possible Mm -hmm. also all right what 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 there there might be more to
1: it then you know maybe we don't know for sure.
0: Sometimes, like letters, uh, or correspondences exist. Like this seems awfully effusive for just a friend. Again, could could be. If you're talking about how soft your friend's lips are, they might be a little more <gasps> than a friend. Like possibly, right? <laughs> right, and that's that's okay. But again, that idea that we're you know constantly trying to box these into the it, box everything into these heteronormative. Uh, categories like things are a lot again queerer a lot more fluid than I think certain people are comfortable with and again if you're not comfortable with it interrogate that that Mm -hmm. is a point of learning right if you if something's like oh I don't and you don't you can't put words on why it hurts you like Mm -hmm. maybe just let it sit but keep poking at it because you might might open something up for you. Yeah. And that's one of the things like circling back to the book again, um,
1: where I have a note in the introduction, because I want truly as many people as are interested to read this book. I don't think it is just for queer people. I think a lot of like heterosexual cisgender people would get a lot out of it as well. I have a note in there about, you know, if you feel alienated by stuff in this book or if it doesn't resonate with your understanding of Kabbalah, sit with that a minute and except that if you feel alienated, that's how queer people feel reading most books. And, you know, if it doesn't match, you can still own what you have as your truth. But recognizing there are other perspectives, really, it's, it's okay, if you don't agree with everything in the book, it's okay.
0: Well, and and also, I think you bring up this good point, because um, it, it, it's okay, if you're not represented everywhere. Because again, Mm -hmm. that's, what marginalized people have to put up with all the time, that they get erased Mm -hmm. from history, erased from creative narratives, erased from magical systems, erased, right? Uh, Erased or, or, um, you know, are literally said they're subhuman or or less than. Mm -hmm. So that's just a thing that marginalized folks have to deal with. So again, broaden your horizons, just because it's not you specifically, hopefully, you can have some empathy for what people are experiencing in that moment from these things.
1: Hopefully, and try not to go down the path of, you know, many sci-fi fans when a story has the audacity to not be about a white man, a white heterosexual man. Yeah, like, God forbid there be something that isn't specifically catering to you seeing yourself in media you have 95% of it but if one
0: that 5% really bothers you it's in a front. I Mm -hmm. saw something it was either last night or this morning I'm on Twitter all the time so who can keep track of any of this but it was this um Fox News thing about like when did Star Trek become oh my gosh I was thinking about that too I'm like uh 1966 if you were paying attention.
1: Literally, had a Russian on the bridge with Americans, had a Black woman in a high-ranking role. Like, where were you with the original track? Really? They did a whole episode on racism. Like, come on.
0: uh, uh.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I was just like, I can't. I can't. And I think my favorite take, I think it was Stephen Blackmore, the author, tweeted about this. And he's like, I bet the Fox News, uh, what is it, the word I'm looking for? The Fox News fact checkers are just wondering why they even bother to show up for work each day at this point. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Honestly, honestly, yes. That I, again, there are other stories. Decenter yourself. De yourself and and take accountability and have empathy. I, I think these are just basic tenets for life, um, but people get really well, people with privilege get offended if they don't see themselves everywhere because they're used to seeing themselves everywhere because they're used to believing that their identity is the default identity for being a human and Mm -hmm. everybody else is just other. Um, Mm -hmm. And and yeah, so yeah, those again, these moments of like brushing up against things, putting, you know, like, again, I, I wrote this down so I could bring this back up so uh, i've I mentioned this I think every episode but my mother's evangelical right and that very mm-hmm. specific there is God and there's the devil and if something isn't God or praising God or putting direct energy towards God, it's demonic it's the devil so you having psychic visions you having all these different experiences there's no room for nuance there's no room None. there's no room i mean and and that all of these oppressive systems in our society, you are either this or there is no room for you. Um, and, and that that gets really dangerous, especially as white supremacist ideas, racist ideas, misogynist ideas, ableist ideas start. I mean, they've always been a part of fringe spaces, but when they start getting really loud and we don't point it out and say, hey, you gotta, you got to do that. Uh, not ideally, not anywhere, but not here. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, that is not. And it's that idea, too, in communities, like if you're welcoming to everyone by default, you're not really that welcoming for marginalized people if there are people making that space uncomfortable for them.
0: Exactly. Yes. And and especially, too, because because people, again, again, we are taught not to interrogate our privilege for Mm -hmm. for all the ways in which we have privilege. And I think it's because of that it can be easier to when you see someone who is like you and they're saying some things that are a little dodge and -hmm. you think, Oh, well I can, let me talk to this person. Let me educate them and and educate them. But you're, you're silencing all the marginalized people who are bringing up valid complaints and Mm -hmm. valid criticisms. Um, I, I, I think a lot in terms of, um, uh, my my grandmother's hands I love that book and the way it taught the author talks about um, racism as a thing that it's you just learn because you can't not because it's part of our society mm-hmm. and you know so many people get like uh, white people get annoyed if they get called racist and they act as if it, it's, it's some uh <laughs> that it's a slur it's like no, you're just being called on your privilege and what you have been taught not to pay attention to in order to maintain systems of oppression. So exactly. there's no, again, you ha- it's, it's, it's constant learning and unlearning in order to make sure that you're really doing work and creating space for, for again, anyone earnest to come and be a part of. And if people are spouting white supremacist ideas or any sort of da- really ultimately dangerous rhetoric, there have to be consequences for it. It's like, okay, if you can't play nice, you, you have to go um, and, and not constantly excusing certain behaviors or certain people. I feel like I, just anywhere in life, some people get a million passes even though multiple people bring up issues, it's like why why are they the why are they the golden child that nobody criticizes? That doesn't make any sense.
1: Even things like you know, of course, what happened yesterday in Buffalo, just like you know, a person killed at least seven people in front of many witnesses, and he was taken alive, and you know why that's the case because he was exactly. a white guy. If he had had a different skin color you know, maybe been someone else probably wouldn't have been taken alive. Uh, And it just
0: infuriates me, the double standard. Well, and even, even linguistically, because I saw something this morning about how it was about how the AP had reported two different cases. And, and I can't remember, but there was an, uh, this, an 18 year old unarmed black man as opposed to the buffalo shooter who was a 18 year old white teenager so yep. e- e- like, in the context of a spree killing this this uh oh but oh but uh, he's a baby right he's just mm-hmm. a teenager it's the, it's yep. minimizing even in language who we decide mm-hmm. as an adult versus who we decide is just a kid
1: absolutely yeah, yeah. I mean, ridiculous things like 13-year-olds being tried as adults because of their skin color. Uh, just, yeah. Yes, exactly.
0: Yes, and and even the, the uh, you know, assuming somebody is a threat because of their skin color. So even when they're unarmed and they've literally done nothing wrong or they're just being pulled over for speeding and, and they are murdered by the police, whereas, again, somebody who drove four hours to shoot up a, a supermarket, taken alive, no problem. Just we'll put you in the back of the squad car. Yeah. you need a pizza or something like that. Kind, yeah. Like, what is what is going on? If you are not outraged about all of that, are you really paying attention? And I know it's exhausting to be outraged about all the things that are worth being outraged about. Because there's an awful lot. <laughs> there's an awful lot of it. <laughs> there is. <laughs> and the news cycle doesn't help. It sure doesn't. But you have to. Again, that, that interrogation is important to make sure that everybody can feel safe in this world and be free to express who they are in this world and not feel like they have to hide certain things or can't go certain places because of, of again, fear of not just being able to live anymore. Like, how terrifying is that?
1: Yeah. Well, and as someone who falls under the trans umbrella, of course, paying attention to all the states that are basically legislating away my humanity um, and my friend's humanity. And not only that with how states are choosing to ignore the fact we're in a pandemic and all of that, it's like the number of states I feel comfortable visiting as an albeit privileged white feminine appearing person, that number has gotten real low of places in this country I'm willing to travel. because of those factors and yeah I mean so much for the American dream (laughs) like (laughs) the country of the free yeah unless you aren't you know a white cisgender
0: heterosexual guy exactly exactly and again it is so wild to me to see that people aren't understanding the abortion rights issue trans rights all of this and all connected. It's all connected. It's all connected. Again, this is, we have politicized identity and, Mm -hmm. and politicized healthcare. And, and, and because we've decided that certain people are not human. And, Mm -hmm. and again, I think that there is, I've always grown up with this awareness again, because my grandparents grew up in, in Poland during World War II and they were Catholic. So they Mm -hmm. survived. If they had been Jewish, I would not be here fascists you're always next you might not Mm -hmm. be directly next you're still on the list once Mm -hmm. they get through everybody they'll come to you nobody is safe so people who aren't again standing up and talking about all these different issues of repression like they're gonna come for you eventually you can't make nice with these people they have no real friends (laughs) they want everybody who isn't like them gone Mm -hmm. literally gone and and how cruel is that when, when again, you know, I thinking in terms of magic, in terms of all of these things, the, these liminal spaces allow us to explore identity and and to cherish things that don't fit the 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 molds that we're all supposed to fit into. And there's mm-hmm. such power in that. And then and so yeah. to not pay attention, mm-hmm. it's dangerous. It is. It is. Um, and it's also.
1: I think I take it incumbent upon myself. I don't expect every person to feel the same way, but you know, I let my freak flag fly because although I have very short hair, so the original meaning of that is not the case in this case, but I, I think it's important to be out in public and weird. And like when I was a teenager, a young teenager, I was always teased for, oh, you're so weird, which is actually a pretty bad insult in Minnesota, which is very conformist. <laughs> and i would have loved to have met or seen someone like me when i was that age someone who's got maybe i wanted to have weird colored hair i did not at that age but you know someone who has weird colored hair someone who is not dressing to a specific gender role somebody who says hey you know i am weird and that's the thing i like about myself i mean be able to have those role models and have those people stand out and show look i'm a human I don't fit your specific mold of who you think should have power, but maybe you need to interrogate that a little bit, because people like me exist, and a lot of us exist. And there's always a danger in saying, you know, every queer person should come out, because it's just not safe for every queer person to come out, and you have to respect everyone's like timelines and needs. But it is really helpful to be able to see people like yourself and see pe- see yourself in your magic as well. To my earlier point. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it's pretty critical stuff. And I want more people to be unashamed and proud of who they are and be out in public as who they are.
0: Exactly. And, and again, you bring up this point, safety is paramount, obviously, but we need to, again, do it, whatever privilege you have should be used to help facilitate spaces for people who are more marginalized than you. Exactly, Th- That's how you can effectively leverage your privilege to to act like things aren't going on or it's not your your business or it's not your fight make it your fight because i mean again even as like a white cis woman right like like seeing myself on screen right like watching aliens right or watching terminator yes. too oh I'm my like,
1: gosh yes You're- You're singing my song there. I love both (laughs) those movies so much.
0: Exactly. It's like, like again, representation matters. It's Mm -hmm. it's also talking about Star Trek. Like they've never shied away from having diverse casts, having Mm -hmm. uh, frank conversations about uh, difficult issues. Great. More of this, more more interrogation, because again, uh, liberation only helps all of us and 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 again car, making sure people have space to be themselves helps all of us it, it does you're you're not hurt by somebody else having a little more freedom
1: sidebar have you seen the movie terminator dark fate came no, out a few years ago okay if you love terminator 2 yes put that on your watch list because Amazing. yes for one thing linda hamilton's back in, in it And (laughs) firing rocket launchers. And it's amazing. But basically every person who is the main focal point of that story is a woman. And the main focal character is a woman from Mexico. And so it sort of. It it basically is very much of the Mad Max Fury Road, um, let's just make a lot of fanboys mad, uh, kind of approach to who are going to be our main characters and the points we're making here. Um, And it kind of interrogates and subverts a lot of the story of T2 in really interesting and, I think, beneficial ways. Uh, So, yeah, just add that to your watch list. Trust me, it's amazing. I had so many feelings seeing it in the theater, just like, is this how dudes feel at every movie that like they're the main character? Cause like this is amazing. Like this is what I have wanted to see on the screen for like my whole life. This is
0: fantastic. Exactly, exactly. I mean, even some of the opening scenes in the Wonder Woman movie, the mm-hmm. first one. I didn't see the second one. It, it, all these women fighting, like yeah. as somebody who like <laughs> Not that I'm a scrapper, but like I took fencing in high school, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like images of powerful warrior women have always been a part of my practice. So, uh, yeah, you see that on screen, you're like super jazzed. And again, that feeling like, dudes, they get this all the time. This is not okay. I am annoyed.
1: (laughs) Sidebar to the sidebar. Another
0: (laughs) another movie that
1: I love but is arguably garbage is uh, Jupiter Ascending. Which like, have you seen it?
0: I haven't because I heard okay.
1: it was okay. <laughs> well, so here, here's the thing about Jupiter Ascending is if you imagine most big budget action movies are, are created by, and this doesn't literally happen, but you could see this happening where basically a big movie produ- producer sits down with a 13 year old boy and says, "What do you want to see?" and they write that down verbatim and throw a billion dollars at it, right? Like that's that's yeah. most action films. Yes, Jupiter Ascending is that concept but it's a nerdy 13-year-old girl they're asking, and she hands them her first OC, like her first (laughs) fic that she has written, and they throw a bajillion dollars at it. And like, it's... It is garbage for you. That is the thing that I love about it. It is not a great movie, but it is so perfectly catered to what young teenage me would have wanted to see on the screen in terms of empowering role models. And like her, you know, the male love interest is a space marine werewolf who can fly and like is Channing Tatum also. And so it is... It is fantastic in so many ways, and I will die on this hill that everyone needs to see this movie, especially people raised as girls, uh, because it is. I mean, I'm convinced. Like Lana Wachowski just dug around and found like her diary from like when she was 13, and just like, yep, yeah, okay, that's our next movie, and and then. The Wachowskis watched The Fifth Element and said, you know, it's good, but it's not ostentatious enough. I think we can do better. And that is Jupiter Ascending. So that is my Jupiter Ascending rant. has nothing to do with the rest of this interview, but I feel like you might be edified by it. You would Um, enjoy it.
0: Yes, (laughs) you're speaking my language (laughs) so much so. And and to take it back to what we first talked about, right? Okay, so not everything has to be like, um, you know, the seventh seal or something like that, right? Sometimes you need a donut. Sometimes you need to watch Jupiter ascending. And that's the mm-hmm. most affirming thing that you can do. And so you exactly. should do that. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I guess before I let you go, if, uh, if people want to find you and find your work, uh, where is the best place for them to do that?
1: So I have a website called Major Arquirna com like Major Arcana, but it's queer. So people can go there. Uh, that is where people can find pre-order links for the book really front and center on that main homepage. And also my blog, which is what started the book in the first place. I started blogging about queer Kabbalah and was like, no one else is doing this. And then one of my mentors said, you should really make that into a book. And I thought, really? And I thought, well, it's locked down. My band isn't performing, so I have time. So. That's what I did. Uh, But yeah, on that, you will also find um, like I have some the guided meditations in the book. I have audio forms of that linked off my website if people want to go through them with a pre-recorded voice. I also have um, links to, I have a YouTube sort of podcast as well called Four Quick Cues Book Talk with Enfys, where I interview other pagan authors and I ask them four quick questions determined by the role of a D20. So yeah, uh, it's a lot of fun and it's relatively short and we're up to episode, I just finished episode eight. So it's brand new and people can check that out if they like.
0: Oh my gosh, fantastic. Well, I will link all of that in the description on YouTube and on Anchor so people can find you and support you wherever you are yeah thank you so much this has been a delight Vanessa thank Thank you you for having me thank you Enfys this has been incredible thanks so much for listening and or watching depending on where you found this podcast you can find Enfys at majorarqueerna.com um you can also find pre-orders for their book uh the book comes out on June 8th um I recommend buying it if only for this gorgeous cover art but also because it's a a and a way of looking at the Kabbalah that isn't typically addressed in more traditional hermetic sources. Um, You can find Personal Pans at Personal Pans on Instagram and on Twitter, and you can find me at Kali Butterfly, that's K-A-L-I Butterfly. Um, I'm on Twitter too much, I'm pretty much always there. Um, Yeah, again, this has been a really difficult time Um, it, it just seems really scary for a whole bunch of reasons, and so I hope that, that you know that you have more power than you think, and, um, yeah, I hope you have a playful and curious day.